I'm not a child anymore, but I remember being a child, and sometimes it comes back. But I remember playing a game with my cousins and uh, my brother and uh, some other friends called Hide and Seek. I don't know if anyone's ever played Hide and Seek before. Hands up if you've played Hide and Seek before. Maybe hands up, keep your hand up if you've played Hide and Seek within the last 12 months. It's a fun game. I've played it many times as a child and often as an adult, as a parent. And the person who would be up would count down from maybe 20 or 50 and they'd count down and give everyone a chance to go find a hiding place somewhere where they won't be found, all right? Then, when they'd finished counting down, what would they call out? Ready or not, here I come. Ready or not, here I come. And you know, sometimes you hadn't found a great place to hide or you didn't quite fit in the place that you wanted to hide in, any parents there, but, and you, find, you found yourself listening to the countdown and then uh, if you weren't hiding somewhere and they said, ready or not, here I come, you knew that you were about to get caught out. That's just a childhood game. This is serious. This is serious. History is counting down. The clock is ticking and Jesus is coming. Now, he's not coming as a lamb, a gentle lamb. He's coming as a lion. Not as a humble, gentle saviour, but as a righteous and powerful king. And if you're not ready, you can get caught out. Are you ready? Are you ready? I hope you are. How can we be ready? Well, two things we can learn. We can learn from a victory. Mark 13, 28 to 29. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you know that his return is very near at the door. And he says, when you see all these things, you know that it is near. You know that it is near. What things? What things? Jesus is talking about the natural signs. The wars, famines, earthquakes, persecution of believers. Now, let me, let me ask you, what, what of those four things are happening? All of them. There are wars, there are famines, there are earthquakes, and there is persecution of believers, in fact, at a rapid scale, more than there ever has been in history. Sacrilegious object in the temple is the next sign. These things, that, these things are going to happen. The sacrilegious object in the temple, where it should not be, which was, which was in verse 14, is another sign that Jesus is talking about. Now that, I believe, hasn't happened yet. We haven't seen, we haven't seen this, this antichrist setting himself up in the, in the temple in Jerusalem. It's not talking about the unnatural signs. In other words, um, the uh, sun being darkened and the moon giving no light, the stars falling and the heavens shaken. That is when he is through the door already. It all seems we are waiting for is the, the, the guy to turn up, the sacrilegious object in the temple in verse 14. If this is true, then Jesus isn't very far away at all. We're just waiting for that one thing to take place. One thing to take place. He's at the door, he says. 
Learn from the fig tree. When you see all these things happen, he's very close. He's at the door. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, Jesus is at a door. He's at the door of a church. He says these words, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Now, it's pretty sad that Jesus is actually outside of a church's door knocking to come in. That's a pretty sad state of a church, right? But it tells me that one day maybe the church will be like that. It's almost like Jesus isn't actually present in the meetings. There's an interesting scene here. The door is at the door. Jesus is at the door knocking. He's knocking on a door, waiting to come in. If you let him in now, then when he comes then, you'll be with him forever. You'll be ready. You won't be caught out. He'll welcome you inside of heaven. But how do we open the doorway to our hearts and welcome Jesus in? How do we let Jesus in before it's too late? Well, it's easy. Repent. Repent. Repent and believe. Repenting means just turning away from what we know is wrong and surrendering our lives to to Jesus as our Lord, our King, our Boss, our Master, our Saviour. He is getting closer and closer to the door to the glorious and powerful return that he talks about in verse 27, we looked at, sorry, 26, we looked at last week. But when? How long? How long will it take? Why hasn't he come back already to destroy evil and all the evil people in the world? The Bible has some assurance for us, right? Because I want Jesus to come back and destroy all evil. There's a lot of evil out there. But let's read from 2 Peter chapter 3. It goes like this. Peter writes, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They're saying nothing's changed. He's not coming. So they scoff. Scoffers will come. Unbelievers will come. I mean, they're out there now. They'll get you to doubt Jesus' words. They'll get you to doubt your own faith in him. And some, sadly, have even turned away from following Jesus because of these scoffers that come. Scoffers scoffers will come. But, Peter goes on, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. See that? He's giving us all a chance to hear the good news of salvation, to respond in repentance and acceptance of the forgiveness through Jesus that God offers. God doesn't want anyone. Look, where is it? Oh, skip one. God doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. (coughs) What? (laughs) In Matthew 25, Matthew's version of this this, uh, sermon that Jesus gives, he actually talks about a parable of sheep and goats. And and Jesus uses this term, uh, the eternal fire or hell, is a place prepared for the devil and his angels. It's not a place prepared for people. God has not prepared hell. He hasn't created hell and and the eternal fire for people to go to. 
He doesn't want anyone to go there except the devil and his demons. He wants to send them there, not people. He wants people to repent, to turn away from what they know is wrong and surrender their hearts to Jesus as their king. In other words, we all still have a chance. We all still have a chance. The unbeliever has a chance to surrender to Jesus. The countdown is underway, but we still have a chance. Also, the Christian has a chance to tell others. Peter goes on to say, And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. We all still have a chance, Christians, to tell others. Tell others. Practice what we preach. We have a chance to tell our loved ones and our neighbours around the table about Jesus. Let's go back to Jesus' words. He says, Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. And there's my little fig tree over there, buddy. When you see all these things taking place, you can know that his return is very near, right at the door. It's a lesson we can all learn. You don't have to be a botanist to understand that. When you see the little buds on a fig tree, you know that summer's just around the, around the corner. Spring, spring is in the air. But are you ready? Are you ready? When you see these things happen, you'll know that it's just around the corner. Are you ready? Are you ready? We can learn again from the fig tree. He says this in verse 30. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear. But my words will never disappear. He says that this is, this is all going to take place. Everything that Jesus has said will come to pass. Jesus is not a tricker. He's not a liar. He's never going to deceive anybody. And everything that comes out of the mouth of Jesus is absolutely guaranteed truth. You can, you can bet your life on it. I did. His words will endure, in other words. Where he says in verse 31, Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. In other words, my words will always endure. Creation won't last. Everything is going to fade away, except Christ's words. Now, this is not talking about the Bible, the Word of God. It's not talking about the Bible. This, in the context, is talking about the very words of Jesus here. His prophecy and his teachings. Remember back in chapter 12, Jesus was getting attacked by the religious nuts the different kinds of religious orders that were coming to him and attacking him, trying to trip him up in his words, it says in, in Mark 12, 13. But Jesus responded every single time with truth and never got trapped. He never got tripped up in his words. His words endure. His words endure. Creation won't endure, but his words endure. Check out this. This is what Jesus prayed um, before his death in this last week. He said, for, he was talking to the Father. He says, for I gave them, the disciples, the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. He's talking about his words. Jesus' words will endure. His words will never disappear. Here is a portion of Jesus' prayer in John 17. Notice that he got the words from the Father, and the disciples accepted the words that Jesus spoke. Sometimes they didn't understand the words Jesus spoke, like in the parables. They were a bit confused and they had to ask questions, but they still accepted the words that Jesus spoke. Here's another example coming up 
after uh, Jesus had been saying some really tough stuff about his body and bread and, and, and really tough to understand in John chapter 6. And just at the end of John chapter 6, we see these words of Jesus. He says, The Spirit alone gives life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. The very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. His words will endure. His words became spirit and life to his hearers. He spoke to people's hearts and spirits. They came alive inside whenever he spoke. He, he didn't speak like all the other religious authorities. And he still doesn't. He still speaks. And when he speaks, we come alive on the inside. I still don't understand some of the stuff that Jesus said. But it's good for me anyway, right? I don't understand all that's in a cake. I don't understand the whole recipe. But I eat it because I know it's good for me. It's good for my spirit. The word of God, the words of Jesus are good for my spirit. They bring life. And in the end, the words of Jesus are going to endure. Everything else is going to fall apart. But Jesus' words will endure forever. It won't matter what my opinion is on Judgment Day. It won't matter what your opinion is on Judgment Day. It won't matter what the vast majority of people believe. It's not a, it's not a case of majority wins. It, it's like at a conference, we get to all go to this last day conference when Jesus comes back and we all have a voice, but Jesus is the only one with a vote. His word endures. I want to line up my life to his words. And after Jesus said these words, Peter's come up to him, or the other disciples at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him because they couldn't understand, they couldn't grasp it. And then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, are you going to leave too? And then Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. The disciples understood this principle. These guys had been with Jesus, heard his teaching, and were puzzled a lot of the time. But where else could they go? Jesus' words have eternal weight, and they endure forever. I have a fig tree outside. We've been growing it for a while, and it's been losing leaves. And that's pretty sad to watch. Um, but just the other day, it lost its last leaf. And now it just looks like a stick, sticking out of the ground. I cannot will my fig tree to speed up the process or be another kind of tree, produce another kind of fruit. The process is happening, whether I like it or not, it is getting ready for winter here in Australia. Ready, whether I'm, will, whether I'm ready or not. And in just the same way, what Jesus has declared here about his return is happening. Whether you are, sorry, whether you, whether you or I are ready or not. Because his words endure. So if he says it, it's going to happen. Let's move on. What else can we learn from the fig tree? Well, Jesus says here in verse 31, Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Creation won't endure. Creation will disappear. Don't worry. He's planning a new heaven and a new earth for us. The natural world is only temporary. And we must not focus on it. Though it's beautiful, there's some lovely places to go visit. It is all going to disappear one day. We must not set our minds on it. 
We must set our minds on eternity. Set our minds on eternity. And Jesus is the only way to have eternal life. Speaking of temporary and eternal, I have a scripture for you from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. Paul writes these words. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Now that makes no sense. Unless you believe. We must prioritize that the things in our life that are eternal. For example, our souls are eternal. Our loved ones' souls are eternal. Everything else, the Bible says, is going to disappear. It's going to be burned up. It's going to disappear. Can we learn a lesson from the fig tree tonight? Jesus goes on. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard, stay alert and pray. We have no idea when the day or the hour will be. Timing is in the Lord's hands. But watch the times. But don't set a date. Please don't set a date. So many people have set dates in the past. There have been people throughout history that have sought to predict the day and the hour of Jesus' return. Wesleyans included, might I just add. But one word, why? Why? Jesus said in verse 32, what? Have a look. No one knows the day. No one. I looked up the Greek word for no one. Guess what it means, Tim? No one. And if Jesus' words endure, then that obviously endures. No one knows the day or the hour. So what's the point? We must be ready at a moment's notice. We must be ready, as ready as possible, as ready as we possibly can be. So we'll learn from the fig tree that it's coming soon. But the most important thing that you and I can do is be ready. Now, um, I'm a dad, five kids, one wife. It, has, it takes us a while to get ready. If we need to go somewhere, it takes us a while. And, you know, I'm not going to pick on any people, but I'm probably one of the worst. <laughs> but it takes us a while sometimes to get ready. And if it's a rush, if it's an emergency, it's amazing how quickly we can get out the door. But we'll get down the road, and halfway down the road, someone will forget a hat. Someone will forget a lunchbox. Someone will forget a jumper. Someone will forget a wallet. Someone will forget a mobile phone. We have to come back. It's difficult to be ready. But Jesus here is talking about when he comes back. He says, just be on guard. Stay alert. And pray. It's interesting. I looked up this word, be on guard, stay alert, in the Greek. We've actually looked at this word over and over through this chapter in different places. This is the fourth place where Jesus says, be on guard, or watch, or stay alert. And it's a word, blepo, in Greek. Any Greek people watching? There you go. I hope I said it right. And it means, basically, to be observant and to be watchful. But it suggests to see something physical with spiritual results, like perception. That is, it carries what is seen into the non-physical, immaterial realm, 
so a person can take the needed action. In other words, look what's going on with your eyes, but there's more than meets the eye. We should be looking at the world like that, through eyes like that. And pray, says Jesus, and pray. Set your focus on the signs of the times. Sure, fine, but it is more vital that you set your, your focus on the very Lord of the times every day in prayer, especially as stuff starts getting worse fast. After all, it's him we're to watch for, right? It's him we are to notice. Jesus even taught in, in Matthew 5 uh, the Beatitudes, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. He's coming. Are you ready? Jesus said the coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do. And he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. How can I be ready? How can I be ready like a gatekeeper? How can I be watching for his return? Well, Jesus goes on. First of all, I can be watching and waiting for him. Right? So in Romans 8, 12, uh, sorry, 18 to 21, it says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. We might be surprised. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. First, I can watch and wait patiently with hope in my heart for his return, for him. At the moment, everything is under a curse. It's falling apart. Our lives might become more comfortable, but ultimately, it's all falling apart. We should be watching and waiting patiently for him. Romans goes on, For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Amen. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Amen. All the old people said, there's no old people in our room. Just me. Thanks, Tim. So watching and waiting for him is one way I can be ready, just like the, the gatekeeper, watching for that owner of the home to return. And the next way is that every decision I make is with the master in mind. Similar to the slaves or the, or the gatekeeper that Jesus talks about in that story, waiting and watching for his return. I need to make sure that what I'm doing while he's away is what he wants me to do. So he's got to be on my mind all the time. I've got to be thinking, if, if I'm in this situation, what would my master want me to do for him in this situation? This means that I ought to live my life with him on my mind all the time. Every decision with the master in mind. 
Jesus says, you too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return. In the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. Now, this isn't talking about being an insomniac. All right? If you're a Christian, you have to be an insomniac. That is not what it's saying. Sleep is a good thing. But what it is saying is having a mindfulness of his return. And every single decision that you make in life has that as the background. Does that make sense? In other words, am I doing what he instructed me to do? Like make disciples of all nations or preach to all the world or love my neighbor as myself? Am I doing what he wants me to do? Am I wearing the right uniform as a worker for him? You know, do I have the robe of righteousness on? Not my righteousness, but his. Have I got the armor of salvation, the armor of God on every day? Am I in a relationship with him as his gatekeeper? Do I recognize my position and his position as my boss? Do I know who to look for when he does return? Will I actually recognize him like the slaves and the gatekeepers would have recognized their master returning? Are the things that I'm spending my money on, my time on, and my effort on, are they for his agenda and for him on this earth? I don't know if you've ever met someone that's ever received a terminal diagnosis or had some sort of near-death experience. All of a sudden, their priorities tend to change. The stuff that they focused on before that, that wasn't quite eternal, gets kind of pushed to the side and, and things that are important begin to take priority in their lives. If Jesus was going to come back tomorrow, would your priorities start to change? Would they start changing now? Wouldn't it be great if we knew when Jesus was coming back? Like if it was tomorrow, for example, or, you know, maybe next Tuesday, wouldn't it be great if we just knew exactly when that was? And then, you know, we could just make sure we were okay when he turned up. But we don't know. And that's the point. Jesus wants us to wait for him, to watch for him, and to, to, to live for him every single day. He said, lastly, Jesus said, I say to you what I say to everyone. Watch. Watch for him. The New Living Translation says, watch for him. You know, we can watch the signs. We can watch the, the different things that are happening around our world and who we might think might be the Antichrist or the New World Order or, or whatever. Any conspiracies are all out there, right? We can watch those things. But can I encourage you tonight to watch for him? Make sure you're spending time with him. Are you waiting with eager hope for his return? Are you scanning the, are you scanning the current climate and wondering how far away he is? Has it ever crossed your mind, even, that Jesus is coming back for the last time? I mean, it's not something we hear preached much in churches. There's a lot of Christians that really don't have a, a focus that, on, on that, that Jesus is going to come back. What a wonderful day that'll be. One more question exists, though, that I want to ask you tonight. That if you died before Jesus was to return, how sure are you that you will go to heaven? And is that based on your words or Jesus' words? It's really serious. It's a really serious issue. Jesus is going to come back. <coughs> ready or not, here he comes. Are you ready? 
I still love playing hide and seek. This is no game though. This is serious for everyone. History is counting down. The clock is ticking to a close. And Jesus is coming back. And here I am on a Facebook live stream, maybe speaking to someone who's not sure. Now, he's not coming as a lamb. He's not coming as the savior. He's not coming as gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Here's your second chance to turn and be saved. He's not coming like that. When he comes back, he is coming as the lion. He is coming as a, as a king, as a glorious, powerful king, righteous, as a judge that's going to judge between sheep and goats, righteous and unrighteous. And if you're not ready, you're going to get caught out. And I've got a responsibility to tell you that, as does every other believer. It's good news. It's good news that we can share now. But when Jesus comes back, we can't share that anymore. We won't have time. There'll be no chance. Are you ready? Are you ready? If he was to come back like that, will you be ready? I want to be ready. I really want you to be ready. If you are ready, that's awesome. That's great. Get out there. Get out there and let others know what Jesus has done for you. Help them to be ready. But if you're not sure if you're ready, that's also okay. I'm glad you could hear this message. I'd love to lead you in a prayer. And all you have to do to be ready, really, really ready right now is to turn from what you know is wrong and to, to surrender to Jesus, making him your Lord. He's never going to let you down. <coughs> he loves you. If you want that tonight, pray this prayer with me. We're going to pray, all right? Repeat after me if you'd like. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the wrong things in my life. I'm sorry for the wrong things in my heart. I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from that right now and I surrender to you as the Lord and Savior of my soul. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Help me to live for you from this moment on with your spirit's power in my life. Amen. We'd love to know if you prayed that prayer. Uh, there's some wonderful people that I trust who can assist you with your next steps, and they're called my church. Just go to our website at hopeforwesleyan.org.au and get in touch through the contact page. We'd love to hear your story and get in touch with you. Ready or not, the countdown is getting closer. I'm glad there's still time for all of us before Jesus comes. There's going to be no places to hide, by the way. You'll have no places to hide. Jesus is the only hiding place. Let me pray. God, we just thank you so much that you love us. We thank you so much that one day you're going to take your people to be with you forever. Lord, you don't want anyone to perish. You don't want anyone to be destroyed. You want all of us to be saved. But Lord, I pray that you just give us the strength and, and, and the, the humility to humble ourselves and repent. The repent of the bad things that we've done uh, and who we are. And help us to surrender to you. Lord, I just thank you so much that you love us. You love every single person that's watching this live stream. And you have a, an amazing plan for us. Lord, help us to share this good news of Jesus to the world around us. Lord, especially 
as the time draws near of your return. God, give us the strength. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.